Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Hack Podcast. I'm your host as ever, Wayne Simmons. And as usual, I've got a jam-packed show full of horror and genre goodness. We kick off with a reading from my latest release, Plastic Jesus, available now through Salt Publishing. Gary Slaymaker joins us to talk about what he's up to with his production company Slaycorp. You may remember Gary from our first episode when he came to talk about a production he was doing for BBC Radio Wales on the Welsh horror scene. We talk about that programme, which aired around Halloween in 2013, as well as what Gary's up to now with Slaycorp. Fellow horror hack David Moody joins us to talk about one of his favourite subgenres, that being B-movies. This is to promote his current release, which has been heavily inspired by his love of B-movies, um, and that is Straight to You, an apocalyptic thriller. We have our ever-popular flash fiction competition, and this month we have a guest judge, Scott Harrison. Scott's a well-known name within the horror and sci-fi genre through both his own writing work and also some of the editing work which he'd be involved in. Um, His most current release is a horror anthology through Snowbooks entitled Twisted Histories. It's available now. And we're very honoured to have Scott join us uh, as guest judge this month. Music this month is provided by Galactic Cowboys, um, our new resident band for the podcast, so we wave goodbye to Doug Pinnock, um, who's been a wonderful resident muso um, for the for episodes one to four, and say a big hello to Galactic Cowboys, who are hopefully going to join us for the next uh, five or six, maybe more episodes. We're kicking off with our first album, 1991's self-titled debut, Galactic Cowboys, and a big thanks to Monty Colvin for allowing us to, to play the music on the show. Okay, so without further ado, let's get stuck in. <laughs> Charles Seven was just closing up for the night when two faces appeared at the door of his tech repair shop. He recognised them both, a couple of yahoos named King and Kenny, mostly harmless save a little card swiping, easy money for little work. He was zoning, but that meant nothing. A tech hack like Charles was always zoning. He didn't even need a wiretap, three coils were permanently attached to his head, their plastic wires entangled within his dreads, jacked into his very brain. Charles unlocked the door of his cell, letting the two men in. The older Yahoo King threw a card across the counter. He'd swiped Charles. You good for it? The VR was rocking. Charles could feel its doll run a hand through his hair. She is beautiful. A Latino girl wearing nothing but a short latex skirt. Legs wrapped around his hips like two live snakes. An involuntary gasp escaped the tech hack's mouth. Two Yahoos looked at each other. What is it, King said? He pointed at the card. Something wrong with it, bro? Charles shook his head and smiled. The doll was loosening in his belt now and he felt a slight tingle rise up his thighs. He lifted the card from the table, ran it through his fingers and slid it into the tech bleed next to him. The keys of the device immediately lit up. Charles allowed one hand to reach under the counter, finding the doll's hair, working her as she gave him head. With the other hand, he began tapping various combinations of characters on the tech bleed keyboard, battling against a card's security. A small screen showed him the account details of the card. Charles read the name. Johnny Lyon. He is good with names. Didn't know this cat though. Not that it mattered. Wouldn't be the first time he'd hacked one clan as a job for another. Charles bled the card within minutes, but left it in the device until the VOR ran its course. As the two men watched on, Charles raised his hand to his mouth, chewing his knuckle until the moment passed. 
Then he pulled the card from the tech and handed it to King. He wiped a little perspiration from his brow. Sink the usual sum, including my fee, he said, still recovering. Set up a temp account for you. It'll close within an hour or so. Be sure to grab the cash ASAP. What a trace, was Kenny speaking. Charles suddenly felt a real bad vibe off the kid. It's clean. Once the cash drains from the temp account, it'll bleed the trace automatically. Little bit of viral wizardry that I created. Don't ask. He wasn't going to, King said. He reached his hand across the counter. Charles, pleasure as always. The bag around his shoulder shifted as King's hand extended, a sizable package slipping from its open zip and landing on the floor. Charles peered over the counter. The package had split, brown dust spilling out. King stopped to sweep the dust into his hands. Kenny fallen to his knees to help. You boys dealing? Charles asked. King looked up. Might be. Want some? Jesus, King, how many people are we going to tell? Kenny protested. Charles shook his head. Don't do drugs. Never have. King laughed. Says a man with three wires in his head. Charlie boy, you're every bit as hooked to that shit. He swung his hand, pointing out the many pieces of tech hanging from the ceiling of Charles's shop. As any junkie I've ever met, so don't go preaching to me, Padre. That be all today, boys? Sure is, but we'll see you again, Charlie boy. You can bet on it. Can't wait, Charles said. King moved towards the door, paused, looking back at Charles. And go easy on that VR shit, he said. Can't be good for you. Kenny pulled at King's sleeve. Come on, he said. And shut the fuck up, would you? Yeah, thought Charles. Shut the fuck up.
So welcome back. Um, and uh, I'm delighted to have somebody who was with me for the first episode of Heck Podcast. That is Gary Slaymaker. Um, Gary's here to join us to chat about some of the things he's up to now. We were out having a drink in Witherspoon's establishment. Witherspoon's Brewery, maybe, Gary. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we were chatting about some of the things that I'm hoping Gary can be involved with for Scardiff this year. Um, and we're very excited about that, but we're not going to reveal anything of that tonight. What I do want to talk about, though, is Gary's uh, production company, Slaycorp, um, and what he's been up to since. So, Gary, welcome to Hack Podcast. Thanks very much, Wayne. Lovely to be here. Um, Gary, last time we were chatting to you, it was again in the eve of Scardiff 2013. Yeah. Uh, you were talking about some of the things that your production company, Slaycorp, has been up to, and you were just about to go live with... A show on the Welsh horror scene? Yes, yes. A couple of weeks after I chatted with you, I think the, the Welsh language version went out. Yeah, yeah. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that? So it was a, a programme about the Welsh horror scene in general. Uh, it was called Welsh Horror and New Dawn. Um, it aired, I think, Halloween, was it, in Rita Wales? Uh, the, the Welsh language one went out on Halloween itself. Uh, yeah. The mid-afternoon on a Thursday. Which, is, yeah. which isn't exactly the scariest time of day, yeah. <laughs> um, especially you know, mid-afternoon as well. A lot of old biddies sat on the, the radio uh, in Welsh, uh, the, Welsh uh, the Welsh parts of the country, so <laughs> they'd have had a shock. Uh, but it was, you know, it was fairly calm. The, the, the Welsh lang- uh, language version looked at um, well, the growth in popularity of horror in the last five to ten years in Wales, um, right. even in the Welsh language. Uh, there's, there's authors who are now turning to write story, horror stories. Yeah, um, I, I, even to the extent there's TV companies are starting to make horror themed programs and documentaries. So yeah, also, I think a lot of it links down to the the success of stuff like The Walking Dead. Yeah, yeah, uh, and you know these terrible clone films like Insidious and, and stuff like that. You know, and yeah. Paranormal Activity eight, nine, and ten, whatever. Um, and then of course you have like um, your film companies like Asylum. Uh, who do kind of rip off of those, don't you like? So you have paranormal entity or something like that, and yeah. and so it kind of breeds and and subbreeds. And <laughs> yes, and, and yeah. uh, always a lot to do with uh, Welsh broadcasting is uh, is it cheap? Yeah, uh, and you know a, a lot of these uh, subgenre films are very cheaply made. Yes, uh, so so obviously as soon as they see oh we we can get a lot of crap out there for very little money. Yeah, uh, then all of a sudden we, they get excited about it. So yeah, I've I've done a lot of horror-related stuff last year, especially in Welsh. Yeah. For me, great, because I love it. But yeah. I'm not quite sure that um, the people running the corporations have quite understood yet the strength of the genre. Yeah, yeah. Welsh Horror and New Dawn really was highlighting some of the kind of key events. Um, you talked about Abattoir Festival, you talked about Scardiff. Um, you also talked to some authors. Uh, Tim Levin was on. Yes, lovely, lovely uh, fellow. He was the first interview of the lot we did was Tim. Yeah. Uh, and what an absolute gent. Uh, and also fantastic. Uh, the way he spoke so eloquently about his craft and, and you know, the downsides as well as the upside. He did. I mean, the one thing is I've listened to this show, obviously, I listened to it while it was, it was airing and then also played back the podcast. Um, is it still available for people to listen to as a podcast? Uh, it's probably out there somewhere. I'm not, yeah. uh, I'm not sure whether it's on the iPlayer, but it's, it's actually I think if there's an archive of Radio Wales art show, right, uh, it should be in the middle of that somewhere. It should last. be there. Well, I'll try and hook it up and put it as a link up in the in the Hack Podcast page. Yeah, I, I really, I really enjoyed the fact that that Tim was very, very candid about mm. just. 
the things that affect all authors, like myself, is that some books do well and some books don't do so well. Uh, some books are translated, some books aren't. Some books, when they're translated, don't do so well, and some do well. You know, and, and this is just a way of it. Um, so it was really refreshing to hear. And uh, if uh, anyone's listening out there, Tim's just released, just to give him a bit of pimpage, because we talked about him, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just released an alien book, which I'm very, very excited about. It's called Alien Out of the Shadows. And it's carrying on the franchise, I think, between Alien 1 and 2. Yeah. So I'm really excited to read that. Mm. Um, who else do you talk about or talk to you as part of the programme? You talk to me. Yes. Which, well, yeah, well, uh, which was a highlight, obviously. Absolutely. <laughs> well, was, I, we, we almost said we might as well finish here. There's no point going to Aberystwyth. Who the hell wants to go to Aberystwyth? <laughs> um, but it, it was it was strange that the whole programme was meant to be based uh, around Abattoir because it was because yeah. uh, uh, BBC Radio was told us they'd been wanting to do something about Abattoir for the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, and we just happened to walk in with the programme that they thought was perfect for it. And, and tell, tell us a little bit about Abattoir because um, I'm a balloon around these parts. I know of Abattoir. I haven't had a chance to attend it yet. But for people out there maybe who aren't Welsh um, or don't really know the film circuit, what is Abattoir? What makes it different from other festivals? Well, it's it's a, a four or five day horror film festival held up in Aberystwyth uh, November each year. Yeah. Uh, run by fans, absolute fans, four fans. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, all day they, they use the Aberystwyth Art Centre. They they're allowed permission for the whole week to take over the main screen. Yeah. The and it's just a matter of showing horror films back to back. Some some are old classics. Uh, some yeah. uh, you know cult classics from the sixties and seventies. But yeah. there's always new stuff as well. So you know you get the chance to see uh, films there that that are going to be big maybe in a year or two years time. For, so very well renowned. And I think the thing that I took away from the uh, program you did was it it gets the same people going back year after year because yeah. they love it and it's it's developed this kind of um die hard community of horror fans yes yeah you know it was it was the thing we found that uh, you, know, you chatted to people how long have you been coming to uh, to Abbotswell then yeah. uh, oh last four years last three yeah. years you know and and, and they, they felt it felt like a family Yes. They even acted like a family, a dysfunctional yeah. one perhaps at times, but <laughs> but it was great. I mean, the, the trouble was, I've been trying to get to Abbotswell for the last three years, but work always got in the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So finally, the work was to go to Abbotswell. Excellent. Uh, sadly, we had to. We were only there for two days because we had to rush back to Cardiff in order to edit the program yeah, yeah, to yeah. put it out for broadcast. So I said, "Well, next year, but uh, I'm going for the whole five days. So, so this year, I'm, I'm taking that'll be my holiday this year." Yeah. Some yeah. people go to the Bahamas. Some people you know, go to Mallorca. Aberystwyth and the pissing rain in November. That'll be yeah. it for me this year. <laughs> I might join you actually for it. I think um, James Plum, another uh, yeah. car of horror fan, was uh, talking about going up, so maybe we'll make a bit of a day of it. Absolutely. Um, so who else did you talk to uh, in the program? You talked to you talked to Rodri Jones. Yes, yeah, that was that was interesting because he's one of the the new breed of yeah. filmmakers. Now, that's another thing as well. Uh, you know, if, if uh, the Abbotswell people are a family, then there's, there's this really strong community of horror filmmakers yes. uh, across South Wales, and they all kind of know each other and all help each other out. So you've yes. got uh, the likes of James Plum, uh, Chris Crow, based in Cardiff, yeah. and Rodri Jones. In a way, he's the new kid on the block, but you know, yeah. uh, he's, he's made a film, uh, Value the Demon, or he's, he's finishing it off now. That's right. Uh, yeah. And you look at the trail and you think, there's nothing new kid about this guy at all. He's, he's, yeah. you know, he knows the genre inside out. He, he's got all the licks up there on screen yeah and you, and you know it's a small budget but it all it's all there on on the screen as they say it is and it's it's like a to me looking at the trailer the valley of a demon it's 
it's a love letter to all those eighties and seventies slashers, isn't it? Like you know? yeah. So, um, really looking forward to that, and that's one. Rodri's going to be joining us to Scardiff this year again. We're really excited about that. Um, as is James. So um, you didn't get a chance to talk to James. Uh, we, yes, we did. We we yeah. caught up with him because uh, James is one of the people we were after as one yeah. of the new uh, faces, I suppose, of of West horror films. But we found out that he would he wouldn't be an amateur. Yeah. Or if he yeah. was, it'd be. At the weekend when we couldn't make it, yeah. Um, so we happened to bump into him in in Scarif and that's right. Yeah. And he was brilliant. He, he gave us his time. And when I said, "Listen, do you mind if we pretend <laughs> that we're in Abbott?" I said, "No, it's not." And he was brilliant because he played along <laughs> with the game. But the answers he gave were the answers I wanted to the questions I'd have asked him wherever we were. Yeah, um, yeah. And he was he was brilliant. He he's really spoke well. Yeah, yeah. And he's done wonderful things with um, again with a fairly modest budget. Uh, not only in terms of uh, making good films, but also getting them to market. Um, so we're hoping James is going to maybe share a little bit of uh, share a little bit of his knowledge and uh, know how um, at Scardiff uh, as part of a workshop. Um, so uh, yeah, and I'm just trying to think of other people you were talking to as part of that program. I think uh, well, it was, well, we had uh, Thomas Emerson. Yes, Thomas Emerson. Uh, well, I know him better as David Edwards. Yes, of course. Um, and th- that was interesting as well because we had David for both the English language and the Welsh language programs yeah. as he's bilingual. Yeah. Um, obviously, more people would would know David as Thomas Emerson listening to the Radio Wales version. Of course. Uh, yeah. Whereas a lot of people went, oh, right, David Edwards. Yeah, he used to be a journalist and yeah, uh, and yeah. wrote a couple of horror books in Welsh. So that's right. Yeah. And and it was kind of weird that that. Uh, that you know, is his approach different when he writes stuff in Welsh? Or does he write stuff in English? Um, yeah, I even asked him, "Does is Thomas Emson separate from David Edwards?" I loved his reply to that. Mm. He kind of talked about Thomas Emson not really existing apart from being a horror writer, yeah. and that being the difference because you know, Dove Edwards does all these different things as well. Um, but uh, Thomas Emerson is only a horror writer, and he's just like this dark part of of Dove himself. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a file on the computer that yeah. exists, and yeah, yeah, it's fant- fantastic stuff. Yeah, and I mean, uh, the thing is, I I wouldn't know. Obviously, I I don't uh, read Welsh, but it'd be interesting to get your take on it. Thomas's stuff is very pulpy, very hard hitting, yeah, uh, very sharply worded. Um, I remember I asked him one time, or it was actually an article he was doing for a blog that I contributed to as well, and we were all asked, what's the best advice for um, for new writers? And his advice was the best I've heard, period. And I've read several craft books, but he said, when you're writing, um, write like the way you talk, like the way you tell the story to, to somebody in the pub, to your mate in the pub. And he says when he's writing, he has a fictitious mate in the pub that is his audience and he's writing yeah. and I thought it was brilliant you know and it's wow. I, I, do, I do try to think about that when I'm writing yeah. myself now, so. it's, it's straight I haven't even heard that one before but that's exactly the same mentality I used when I wrote my first novel in Welsh yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it's a kind of raucous foul mouth comedy fantasy but a, 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 a non-league football team that hire themselves a witch doctor to try and win the league yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the way I wrote it was as if I was sat in the pub with all my mates yeah. telling them this story as if it had happened. Yes, yeah. Um, and and it, it helps as well that it's, it's in dialect. It's, it's, it's the way we speak in West Wales. Yeah. Um, and I thought that would pose a problem uh, when the book is published for North Walesians. Yeah. Because there's a different way of speaking. And uh, no, I pretty much, they all went, oh, no, we got that. There, there's one guy, a taxi driver, I, I know, in Canarwan, who shouted across the, the, the mice outside the castle at me one day, Slate Maker, what's shell for me? I said, Shagging. 
Fine, good. And that was it. It's <laughs> the only word, the only word in the whole book you didn't understand was shelf for. So yeah. there we are. And I'll just, oh, just talk to you. The West William for Shaggy and the shelf for. Well, there we go. <laughs> you learn something new every day. <laughs> um, so uh, you've moved on from that program. Obviously, it did very well for you. Mm. There was a great reception and both uh, Thanks, Radio Wales. Yeah, and... I got chuffed a bit. Uh, really was, uh, and and Radio Wales liked it, which was that was the you know, that was the icing on the cake then. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so onwards and upwards. Hopefully, we we off the back. We we pitched some more ideas in there, and uh, we've we've got one again for this year. Can we talk about that one yet? No. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We can talk. I mean, we we haven't started on it yet, but yeah, we, you know, we we've discussed it with them, and it's because this year now, two thousand and fourteen, is the fiftieth anniversary of the making of the film Zulu. Yes. Um, so, Classic. Ah. You know, not just yeah. you know, not just one of the, the greatest Welsh films ever, maybe one of the greatest war films ever. Was oh, it a Welsh film? Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, uh, Stanley Baker, the star, it produced it himself. Right, yeah. Murthalad. So. Obviously not Seven Wheels. No, no. <laughs> and, uh, historically inaccurate because I think there were only four or five uh, members of the forces that were Welsh, but but yeah, for the sake of the film, they bumped it up a bit, I think. But it, it is actually. I mean, it's a long time since I've watched Sulu. But it is actually based on a true account, or yes. you know, yes, that, that actually did happen. Did it happen exactly that well? You know, more or less that way. It wasn't far off, uh, yeah. as far as um, I mean. There's there's little bits. I mean, it's weird when you start talking to uh, military experts; they always mm. gripe, or oh, you wouldn't have those buttons on that tunic. Yeah, yeah. And they go, oh, shut up. <laughs> um, but yeah, because it's it all started the, the the day previously with this massacre at San Luana, where British yeah. forces were just completely decimated by mm. uh, around ten thousand Zulus. Yeah, yeah. And then it was the day after that you had this little mission, a tiny little garrison of one hundred thirty men in Rock's mm. Drift, and this Zulu army came down towards them, and they managed to fend them off. And, and the Zulus went, "Fair enough, we're not messing with you." <laughs> And just wandered off somewhere else. So, yeah. in essence, yeah, the story is all there. Because you have that. Uh, well, can we can we spoil the end of Zulu? <laughs> it's about forty years old, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen it by now, there's something wrong. <laughs> but uh, at the end, they do this little kind of vic- this little kind of dance of respect, and you wonder how much of that is kind of uh, included just for. Uh, I don't know, sexing up a little bit for the audience. Yeah, I, I, yeah, they're probably just pissed off. Really, yeah. <laughs> fuck you, you know. Yeah, it'd, it'd be more of a football chant than a, yeah. than a dance of it. You're with all in a, you know, in a Swahili ambulance or something. But, but yeah, I, you know, that's the thing. You, know, you can you can print the truth or you can print the legend. Yeah, as, yeah. as they used to say in the, the man who shot Liberty Valance, and yeah, you know, that's what makes Zulu iconic. Really, it's it's that they've they've played. Fast and loose with the, with history, but they made a great film out of it. Yeah, so I mean, as well as doing looking after Slay Corp, and that's with Dyloid. Dyloid, yes, yeah. yes, my partner in crime. Yeah, and the two of you are very busy at that, obviously. But you do other stuff as well. Um, you do a little bit of stand-up comedian. Yes, uh, comedianry. Comedianry, yes, <laughs> Co- comedyry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, well, it pays the bills, as they say, you know. Yeah, and it's it's, it's an outlet as well because. Uh, you know, if you're working on TV or radio, you you can't you can't f and Jeff as much as you'd like to, obviously. So, yes. I mean, not that I'm trying to say I'm filthy, but but I am naturally I naturally talk like a docker. Uh, <laughs> I have I have a potty mouth, and and stand up comedy is a great way of getting out of my system. Yeah, um, yeah. But then you marry it with material that that that, that try, tries not. To, well, it's not that I'm not trying to cause offence. It's just the, the stuff I talk about. It's, it's just my life. So yeah, it's as idiotic as as you want it to be. Um, so yeah, it's weird because my mother goes, "Oh yeah, I like the stories. Do you have to swear?" <laughs> 
There we are. So, um, so I mean, uh, in terms of the radio work, you do also uh, a slot on a Thursday, is that right? Thursday afternoon on BBC Radio Wales, yeah. uh, on the Larry Sean show, uh, two o'clock-ish. Um, so it's, it's film review of the week, and usually uh, the way the fun starts is it's tied into whatever the film review is. Uh, I'll, I'll give a top five of yeah. certain films. Uh this what well, this week now I was in uh, we were uh, review, I was reviewing Monuments Men, the new George Clooney film. Yeah. So j- just for the sheer hell of it, I thought right we'll do a top five men on a mission movie. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, technically Monuments Men is men on a mission. Um <laughs> So, so yeah, and, and it's great because uh, I'll usually, if I know way in advance, I'll put out on Twitter uh, what I've got in mind, and then quite quite often people will chip in their own ideas, which is, yeah. and sometimes they will go, oh, I hadn't even thought about that, and sometimes it'll end up on the top five list. Then, so what's your top five uh, men of a mission? Uh, I should remember the first one, and I think it's the the, the film that people tend to coin, think of the phrase to go with it is the dirty dozen oh hell yeah yeah that's it's yeah. the classic example yeah um, so I was number five number four Blade 2 yeah yeah yeah. Guillermo del Toro I mean I, I enjoy oh, Bl- yeah. Blade mm. but Blade 2 just lifts it to a different level it, it, it was very old school wasn't it that kind of idea of bringing the team together and then, yeah you know, yeah that's going and you get introduced to each of the members of the team and they all had like their baggage and <laughs> and then it all you know it all came back to bite them in the ass of course <laughs> thing, you know, and, and the, the best thing about it because Blade himself is an anti-hero hero yes. in a way and so the people under him are a bunch of bastards yeah. but they're all hunting an even bigger bunch of bastards <laughs> so, so there's not, a, there's not a, sing, a single redeeming person in there but you're going yeah. to go Blade and I think as I remember you had some great glorious death scenes as well like you know kind of like um, <laughs> and who knew Luke Goss from Bros could act fuck yeah that's right he was in it wasn't he <laughs> He was the bad guy. Yeah, wasn't yeah, he? He, was, he was there. Yeah, yeah, ah, oh, yeah, that's right. So yeah, yeah I, I, it's a winner. I've, I've always had a lot of time for Blade, uh, Blade Two, Blade Trinity. I can go and stick it up his own ass. It wasn't the George Best, was it? Like no, no, dreadful. Uh, so that's number four. Four, right? four, four, yeah. yeah. Um, th- uh, well, we have three. Uh, Trying to remember them all. Oh, was number three? Oh, Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh right, okay. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I had to point out this. Yeah. This was boy with a mission. Well, <laughs> small men on a mission, uh, and and a wizard, uh, and Sean Bean. <laughs> hey, oh, is that Hobbit? Yeah, you're all right. Because I've I've come to love the Lord of the Rings trilogy over the years. Because yeah. first, I, I mean, I've, the books that were hippie shit. Yeah, um, never been asked reading them myself. No. To be honest, and, yeah. and I still remember. I actually fell asleep during the first episode when I saw it the day it opened. Uh, 45 minutes of sleep and woke up and thought, you know, I haven't missed any bit of plot here at all. <laughs> um, it got better. The second one was better. Um, too many endings on the on the final part. Oh yeah, yeah. I got I got bored after the end of the first one. To be honest, it was enough uh, for me. It was an innings and a half. But it was because I, I, it was, and I watched all nine hours and then the idiot me went out and bought the extended versions. Oh, on that's TV. right. Yeah. Which which made sense. They, I, I was like, oh right, so that's who that guy is. You know, um, <laughs> And over the years, I've I've gone. You know, it is a pretty impressive feat getting these three films together. It is. Well, it, it does look great. Like, yeah, know, it still looks great even yeah. today. You know. Yeah, but I mean, who who'd have thought Peter Jackson would give us brain dead? I know. And then Lord of the Rings. I know. What the fuck? Obviously, I'm kicking ass for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> who'd have thought the guy who gave you that line was going to come out and just make you know hippies and dwarves and elves just 
wonderful. It's <laughs> really strange, but fair play to him. Oh, yeah, yeah. But then, you know, you, you could see he was heading down that road. I mean, the Frighteners was getting closer into fantasy territory with the yes. heavenly creatures with Kate Winslet that was heading that way. So, yeah. the one I'm a bit disappointed, because once he'd finished Lord of the Rings, he said, or uh, someone asked him what his next project's going to be, and he said, oh, he was thinking of remaking the Dam Busters. Oh. That I'd love to see. But, but obviously, The Hobbit pays better. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Where will he go next? Yeah. So you're at number two? Number two? Uh, yeah. Ghostbusters. Of course. Yeah. Perfect. And again, there was a, fr- a couple of friends went through that one, and I thought, well, yeah, they are men on a mission. Yeah, very and, much so. you know, And it's the great Bill Murray. Um, it's yeah. it's the one thing... I'm a huge Bill Murray fan, and the man can do no wrong when it comes to yeah. comedy on screen. Uh, it's it's the one thing I was a bit disappointed with Monuments Men. They, they almost the underused Bill Murray. Right. When you've got a man that talented, surely you give him more uh, screen time, in a way. You know? Um favourite Bill Murray film for me is Lost in Translation that is a belter it's uh, really good he's one of those guys who just plays himself doesn't he you know yeah yeah and can do it um, and I mean we have his cameo in Zombieland which was absolutely <sighs> terrific yes that's, that's <laughs> just a work of genius as, as possibly the finest uncredited cameo role ever yeah uh, what about Bob that's a belter with him as well um, yeah. uh, Meatballs one of his and Stripes the early stuff there's yeah. there's, a, there's a really good one called Where the Buffalo Roam where, right. he, where he basically plays Hunter S. Thompson uh, before Johnny Depp turned the character around for Fear and Loathing Bill Murray yeah. did it first um, but you know, Groundhog Day uh, is a winner yes but it's, it's Caddyshack Carl uh, the, the, the groundskeeper oh, yeah. in Caddyshack I've always loved that <laughs> Just, he just cracks me up he's just funny funny man he is yeah he definitely is so we're on the number one top yes. slot uh, no, it's top slot I mean this one I, I, I kind of cheated because Larry asked me this happened. Well, all these people voted for this no no one person but he's the man <laughs> making the list so 1953 uh, black and white French sub, French film subtitled obviously called The Wages of Fear I've never heard of it no see this is my dad's favourite film of all time Right, and I remember him telling me in a pub one like, the basic story, and I thought that sounds brilliant. Yeah, uh, and when I saw it, it's now in my top five films of all time. Yeah, um, it's been remade a couple of times, and the premise has been made, but this is the first time. Um, it starts off in, in a tiny village in South America where you've got a crew of disparate and desperate guys uh, living there with no money and no chance of getting out. Yeah, uh, just wasting their lives away. Uh, and then they hear that there's a fire in an oil well 300 miles down the road. Yeah. Um, and the oil company are looking for guys to drive a lorry, lorries full of dynamite across 300 miles of treacherous jungle yeah. to blow the fires out. The trouble is the dynamite is old. And when uh, dynamite gets old, it starts sweating, and it sweats nitroglycerin. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm guessing that's not good. No. So, the, <laughs> so you know, and, and, you know, if you've seen any clips of films with nitroglycerin, it's one of those, it's like a little drop of whatever looks like water, but uh, you throw it on the floor and poof, Oh, right, yeah. So yeah. these guys have got to go as fast as they can to get yeah. to the wells uh, over rough terrain, but not that fast in case the dynamite starts clanking together because boom. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is white knuckle, edgy see thriller at its finest. It is. Wow. Considering it's that old, you know, 1953 and black white, it is yeah. just relentless. Because the first 45 minutes of the film is spent, you just get to know these characters. Yeah, yeah. So by the time they go on the journey, you actually feel for them that they're yeah. like, I don't want him to die, you know. Unbelievably good, but film. Th- that was the great thing about those old men with the mission films. They always had, you know, likes of um, Dirty Dozen, classic. There you mentioned, you've got the huge cast, and a lot of the, the investment of the viewer is like, well, who's going to make it and who's going to cop it? Yeah, you know, um, is Kojak going to make it? 
Uh, is Roger Moore going to be in there? You know, so you kind of you've all that kind of stuff. Where Eagles there is another one. Yeah, absolutely. That was that was yeah. Yeah, uh, Kelly's heroes. We had Duncan's yeah, Guns yeah. and Navarone, yeah. uh, the Wild Geese. I mean, uh, you know, it would have been easier to make a top twenty. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but I had the Whitley down and make it interesting. You know, to put a, a different kinds of, of men in a mission movie. Yeah, because it, it would have been easy to do just. World War Two men in a mission film. Oh, well, of course, yeah. yeah. Inglorious Bastards would have been in there. That's a, right, yeah. yeah. So, and then, I mean, like a, a big part of my childhood was um, the three Clint Eastwood films: the uh, Man with No Name trilogy. Yeah. Good, the Bad, the Ugly. Uh, Fistful of Dollars and a few dollars more. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, you could loosely fit that in there as well, couldn't you? Into the Men with a Mission. Uh, well, this is the thing because one of my mates suggested Get Carter. Yeah, and I, well, yeah. that's Man on a Mission. So yeah, you know, I, I, I was arguing with one of my friends in the pub Tuesday night. Well, Charlie's Angels and Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. Well, it's Men on a Mission with tits, but <laughs> it's it still works. But, uh, we wanted to keep the classics, of, uh, but yeah, it, it, I mean, it was weird. I was, as I was chatting this afternoon, I, I said. If I only had to watch one one genre of films for the rest of my life, it would be horror. Yeah. But if, uh, if I only was allowed one subsection of film, yeah. men on a mission movies. Yeah, and it was a big thing back in the 80s, wasn't it? Like that kind of genre, sub-genre, if you like. Um, I mean, I'm thinking of some even like the sci-fi films, and you always had like a cast of characters, oft on some mission. And as a viewer, you're always kind of... I mean, I used to do this with a mate of mine. We used to go, right, right, you choose one, I'll choose one, and you kind of gone for that person the whole way through and you know the the winning person is a person whose character still left alive at the end yeah yeah and uh, it just it just made it a more entertaining watch that's yeah, because there was like there was there was sea uh, based ones there was virus deep star six even deep blue sea in a way yes because it's, yeah. it's, it's this this big gang of people is it right yeah i'm putting my money on him that's it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. basically that was it like and it's just like uh, you put your money in your horse and hopefully got they got in. That's yeah. a, you know, a good. It's a good way of getting through shit films as well. Yeah. If you turn into a drinking game, it'd be even better. Yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, you could put even like I mean, just go on like Predator, Men with a Mission. Yeah, sort. definitely. Yeah. Uh, Commando. Anything where somebody's brother has been killed by another <laughs> by another person. <laughs> <laughs> well, it becomes Man of a Mission then, doesn't yeah, it? It's either Avengers fueled or it's like let's get Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> it's either or, anyway. Well, apparently there's one on the way out this year because I was filming a, um, an item of war films for, for a programme on SOC yesterday. Yeah. Um, I, it's called I Killed Adolf Hitler. <laughs> and the, pre- the premise is the question, what if you could travel back in time and kill Adolf Hitler? I have, and that's all I know. I have no idea who's directing, no idea who the cast are, but as soon as yeah. I saw that, I'll watch that. Yeah, probably yeah. dreadful, but I'll watch it. Oh God, I'd imagine it will be pretty poor, like unless Martin Lawrence and Will Ferrell are in it together, and then I won't watch it. At all, so. <laughs> Not a fan of Will Ferrell. <clears throat> I, I don't get him. I don't get him either. Yeah. Anchorman yeah. and all that can't, can't handle it at all. Really. Uh, I've, I've tried, but it's just no. Sorry. Yeah, it's 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 very Americanized humor, is it? Do you think or? It's, well, it's 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 interesting because it's, I think it's a new concept. It's humor without comedy. I think is uh, is uh, Will Ferrell's speciality. It was you had the, you had the comedy awards, the Channel Four comedy awards on before Christmas, and so they had obviously because he was promoting, and Will yeah. Ferrell was on as Ron Burgundy, just titting about and talking at the gibberish for five minutes. <laughs> Come to the end of the program when there's a lifetime achievement award for Steve Coogan. Yeah. Or they have to cut the program short. Sorry, we have to end it here. Well, if you didn't have Will Ferrell messing about and being bloody pointless, you'd have had time for Steve Coogan to give his decent speech. <laughs> the man we wanted to hear from. 
And the thing is, there's something there's something about Will Ferrell's head that I just find rather repulsive. I don't know what it is. Yeah. There's something about him I just find him difficult to look at on screen. Yeah, it's it's a combination of uh, excessive skin and weird hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what it comes down to. And you had a tash that combo, it's not good, like. No, no. I mean, it's it's a porn look for for the hard of watching. <laughs> Uh, it's it, it, porn for the blind is basically what Will Ferrell should be doing it's, it's, it's awful so moving from Will Ferrell uh, back to Slay Corp what's, we've got the uh, the uh, Zulu film or Zulu programme coming up next yeah that, that's uh, uh, we're aiming for June yeah uh, they've, they've already asked us oh, uh, have you got an, an idea and I said can we make it the first two weeks of June and they asked why they said well the World Cup starts on the 15th <laughs> so, uh, down tools when the football starts especially the, the World Cup so I, yeah. I, just, just anyone out there thinking oh, offering me work I do nothing uh, <laughs> once every four years between June and July not a fucking stroke because it's all World Cup football yeah yeah a few, few um, bets no doubt oh, on. that'll be one or two I, I generally I generally put um, at least a pound in Cameroon every year With because they've got a <clears throat> fucking great team and someday someday they're going to win the yeah, World Cup yes exactly but and I, it's always like about 150 to 1 I just tend to go to the bookies and say can I have a tender on not England <laughs> I, I'm in with a shout then I'm, I'm pretty much okay to, if they get past the quarterfinals I sweat sweating cause are, they, they, are they actually in it this year because they were yes, looking about yeah. Harry for a while well it? that's the thing yeah. I mean, because that's the thing because you know, it gets very very serious they're yeah. just high profile huge countries so it's nice to have the comedy value of England in the World Cup <laughs> Because you know they're going to fall apart and just make an absolute ass of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, probably out on penalties. Hopefully against the Germans. That's always the, the great track. And just listen to the commentators like grown men crying <laughs> yeah. in the inside. It's a it's a wonderful sport as well <laughs> as an Irish. And they keep saying, "Oh, I'm sorry, this this is not meant to be a sport, but they keep saying, oh no, no, we've dialed down uh, uh, optimism this year.' It's just it, it's almost like it's the Oscars. We're just glad to be there." <laughs> Which that would be nominated for the world. But you, you know, as, as it starts building up, they go, yeah, England are going to win. Uh, no, you're not. No, and, you're then, not. and then you cut to them, like, you know, not winning. <laughs> it's, well, a, it's, yes. a, it's a kind of uh, sad faces, like, well, and it's, give it I, I, Speaking of the Welshman, who, uh, whose team only got to the uh, World Cup finals once, that's not a problem at all. We're, we're used to being losers. <laughs> uh, it doesn't bother me at all, but it's just watching England getting so excited and then stuffing it up spectacularly. Yeah. That's what makes the World Cup for me. Well, Northern Ireland, um, I think the last time they were in the uh, World Cup was 1982, Spain, Spania, uh, yeah. I think. Um, but all I remember watching as a kid was Pat Jennings, who was a goalkeeper. Uh, with the biggest hands in the world, apparently, um, working his ass off at that goalpost, like trying to catch everything that was spun in his direction, and there was a lot coming at him. Like, that's, that's the thing, <laughs> it's a terrible thing when the man of the match is a goalkeeper, because <laughs> you know it hasn't been a good day. Like, it's it's, it's, it's always the way because Northern Ireland he was either brilliant up front with George Best or brilliant yeah. in the back with Patch Ennis. That's it. Nothing in the middle. Going on at all. Okay, well, um, Gary, thank you very much for coming and joining us, and hopefully we'll have you back at Hack um, to do more stuff. Love to. Um, so, uh, anything I could say uh, in terms of websites or anything about the show? Or uh, I can't think of it. I said uh, comes June. Uh, the Zulu program will be out. Um, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I say it's an authored piece, as, as Radio Wales call it, because it's not. Okay. It's not just the anniversary of the film it's, it's about the fact that it's the first film that my dad and I went to see together yes so it's about that connection between fathers and sons and, and it's all about really it's about the films that, that brought yeah. us together so yeah. I, and I'm trying to aim it to get out 
you know, it's mid-June because the Sunday, the 15th, is Father's Day. So ah. ma- maximising the, 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 the heartstring puller. Yeah, so, yeah. no, that would be really good. I mean, I think everybody has their films that they've watched with their, their father, like, isn't it? Yeah. Sit down. For me, it is those uh, Man of No Name films, yeah. you know. Um, but no, it's great. Uh, so yeah, thanks again for coming and joining us. And um, watch this space in terms of Gary's involvement with Scarlet. I'm very excited by that. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll have you back on the show before we know it. Cheers, mate.
Thanks to Wayne for having me here on Hack. Uh, I've been on here before, but usually loitering in the background, I've never had a bit to myself like this, so thanks. I wanted to talk today about a genre of film that gets quite a lot of bad press, and that's the B-movie. In particular, 1950s low-budget black-and-white horror and science fiction B-movies, because I've got a real passion for them. They're my weak spot. You know, lots of people watch these films and they only see the cardboard sets, the shoddy acting and the rubber monster suits. But to me, they're so much more than the sum of their parts. I watched a 2013 film recently that inspired this nostalgia trip. It's called Big Ass Spider. You might have heard people talking about it. Here's the plot, which I've lifted straight from IMDb. A giant alien spider escapes from a military lab and rampages the city of Los Angeles. When a massive military strike fails... It's up to a team of scientists and one clever exterminator to kill the creature before the city is destroyed. So on the face of it, that synopsis could have been lifted from any number of uh, B-movies from the Golden Age. But despite the relatively high production values and some half-decent CGI and effects, Big Ass Spider wasn't a patch on the production line B-movies I love, and I've been trying to work out why. That's not to say I didn't enjoy the film, you know, don't get the, the wrong idea here. It's the perfect movie to watch with a group of mates, some takeaway food and a, a few cans of beer. It's well paced, it's well acted and it's got a cast that includes Greg Grunberg, who you might remember as Matt Parkman in Heroes, if you remember Heroes, and Ray Wise, who's he's probably been around forever but to me he'll always be remembered as Laura Palmer's dad in Twin Peaks. Big Ass Spider is as cliched and predictable as you'd expect but there are more than a few genuine laughs to be had and it's definitely worth 80 minutes of your time. So before I talk about why Big Ass Spider didn't measure up against old school B-movies, a brief history lesson is in order, please bear with me. A term B-movie, you can trace it back as far as the 1920s I think. Typically they were films which were produced as the lower, less well publicised half of a double bill. They weren't art house films, they weren't initially pornographic films, but they did become increasingly exploitative. The Western was probably the first B-movie staple, but by the 1950s, horror and science fiction had taken its place to become more popular genres. And B-movies have continued to evolve through the years as the film industry has changed, but for the purpose of my little rant today, I'm just thinking about this golden era. I think many of the horror and science fiction films made today are fairly cynically made. They're done more by marketing men than anybody else, I think. Exercises in box ticking. You know, they're, they're formulaic, they're often unsatisfying, and they're geared more towards selling food in the foyer and happy meals and toys than telling stories which really matter. As a film lover, that's something that's always stuck in my throat. But surprisingly, when I looked back, I found that many of my favourite B-movies were initially just as contrived. You'll hear a lot of famous names mentioned when you're talking about B-movies. Roger Corman, Bert I. Gordon and the like. Uh, one of the most famous folks is a chap called Samuel Z. Arkoff, who started out as an entertainment lawyer, and he was one of the founders of American International Pictures, home of some real low-budget gems. Arkoff came up with, appropriately enough, what he called the Arkoff formula for movie-making. So he said all his films had to include A. Action be exciting and entertaining drama. They needed R, revolution, novel or controversial films or themes or ideas. K, some killing, a modicum of violence at least. O, oratory, notable dialogue and speeches. F, for fantasy, 
the films needed to really act out the fantasies common to the audience. And another F, I sound like I'm playing Countdown here, another F, fornication. You need to see some sex appeal for young adults. And later on, according to Wikipedia, good old Wikipedia, American International developed a publicity strategy known as the Peter Pan Syndrome, and that said that a younger child will watch anything an older child will watch, but an older child will not watch anything a younger child will watch. And also, a girl will watch anything a boy will watch, but a boy will not watch anything a girl will watch. So American International decided that to catch their greatest audience, they needed to zero in on the 19-year-old male. So you get an idea of of the target audience they were aiming for and of how cynically these films were produced. But these B-movies developed into something far more interesting and more important because the filmmakers who were involved realised that now they were free from the restrictions of major studios and their corporate concerns, they could make movies that had something to say, films that reflected issues of the day. And that's why, for example, you saw so many nuclear-related features emerging in the 1950s Stories about people surviving the nuclear holocaust or people and animals either growing or shrinking as a result of exposure to the effects of atomic explosions and tests. So I was thinking about all of this in relation to Big Ass Spider and it struck me that that's why I love 1950s B-movies. I think it's because the stories genuinely matter to the people who were telling them. I can imagine that the makers of Big Ass Spider set out to make a fun and entertaining homage to the giant monster movies of the past. And they succeeded. But the makers of them, which is the the classic giant ant film from 1954, in case you haven't come across it before, they wanted to make an entertaining movie and tap into the Cold War fears people had at the time of the growing threat of communism and impending nuclear war. So the more I think about it, the more obvious it becomes. The best films are those made by people who give a shit. So you can keep your Hollywood blockbusters and your event movies and your remakes and sequels and reboots and reimaginings. Because I think I'd rather watch a low-budget movie made by people who give a damn about the stories they're telling. Right, rant over. It's time for a few suggestions and a plug. So first of all, if you've not had the pleasure of any of the B-movies I've been talking about here, uh, I've got a list of five of my personal favourites. And by the way, I don't want to give the impression that every film made in the, the 50s and early 60s was a classic because there are a hell of a lot of stinkers out there. Equally fun to watch, I must say. You know, just recently I, I slept through, sorry, I watched a film called The Phantom Planet, for example, an absolute no-budget yawn fest from 1961 set in the distant future of 1980 about spaceships going missing in deep space. And it was all down to the six-inch tall people who lived on a fully pilot-aboard and self-contained asteroid planet who also happened to be hunted down by the Solarites, which were big men in rubber monster suits. It was bloody awful. But here are five I think you should definitely watch. I'll start with The Last Man on Earth. It's the first film adaptation of Richard Matheson's I Am Legend. starred Vincent Price and it blows the Omega Man, the Charlton Heston version from the 70s and the Will Smith the tragic Will Smith version of the of 2007, completely out of the water. I think you can trace the roots of the modern-day zombie phenomenon to this story, and this adaptation in particular, I think. And considering that Last Man predates Night, uh, Night of the Living Dead, uh, there are some scenes of the the, uh, the vampire zombies, whatever you want to call them, crowding around uh, Vincent Price's character's house, which look are uh, eerily reminiscent of Night of the Living Dead. Second film, Amazing Colossal Man. And this is one of the films that I think people always associate with this era. 
uh, giant man crushes small model cars, but it's a brilliant film. Uh, the synopsis, Lieutenant Colonel Glenn Manny, he gets exposed to a plutonium bomb blast. His body's hideously burnt, but he survives and he begins to grow in size. But as his body grows, his heart and circulatory system can't keep up and he loses his mind, gets to 50 foot tall and wreaks havoc upon Las Vegas. Brilliant. The next one, Day the World Ended. Uh, it's just a, a post-Holocaust classic, this one for me. In a post-apocalyptic world, seven disparate people end up in a protected valley in the home of a survivalist and his requisite beautiful daughter. And all the expected infighting in, ensues. And at the same time, the survivors come under attack from rubber, rubber-suited mutants roaming the wasteland. Brilliant. Fourth film, Them, which I've already mentioned. Really, you just need the synopsis to know how good this is. The earliest atomic test in New Mexico caused common ants to mutate into giant man-eating monsters that threaten civilization. Brilliant film. And the fifth one on the list, The Incredible Shrinking Man. It's a film which, on the face of it, is so open to parody. It's so close to being comical. He gets chased by a cat. He lives in a doll's house. In fact, you know, I think in the early 1980s, they did make a pastiche of this, The Incredible Shrinking Mom. But The Incredible Shrinking Man is a really chilling film. And you watch it and you won't forget the last few scenes, I can assure you. So it's another classic from the pen of Richard Matheson. And, and the synopsis is very simple. Scott Carey starts to shrink because he's been exposed to a combination of radiation and insecticide. And medical science, again, as it always is, is powerless to help him. But these are all wonderful films. They really are. And they're made with a real purpose. Just please check them out and many of the hundreds of other films from the period. Uh, the Brain from Planet Aros, I Was a Teenage Frankenstein, Attack of the Puppet People, the Killer Shrews, Creature with the Atom Brain. You just need the titles to know how fantastic these films are. Right, I'm going to shut up. I'm just going to finish off with a, a quick plug. Because another reason for my renewed passion for B-movies is I've just released a new novel. And in many ways it's, it's a homage to these films, the films I love. It's called Straight to You, and it came out on Valentine's Day, which was the perfect day for a, a bit of doom-laden apocalyptic romance. The story really harkens back to B-movie days. It's, it's quite simple. And here's the synopsis for you. The sun is dying, the temperature around the world is rising by the hour, and there's no sign of any respite. Inevitably, it's not going to be long before all life on Earth is extinguished. We might have weeks, we might have days, but we may only have hours. Society's crumbling. The burning world is rapidly descending into chaos. Stephen Johnson's wife is hundreds of miles away, and all that matters is reaching her before the end. He has to act now, no time to stop and think, because every second is precious and tomorrow is too late. You can find out more about the book, about my other works, and about me in general at www.davidmoody.net, or you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash davidmoodyauthor, and on Twitter at David J. Moody. So thanks again to Wayne for inviting me on the show. Please do yourself a favour and check out some of those classic films I've mentioned, even Big Ass Spider.
tonight. Okay, a huge thanks to everyone for entering February's Flash Fiction competition. Try saying that when you're drunk. We've had so many fantastic entries that it's been really difficult to choose just three. I mean, really awesome stories, guys. Anyway, as you all know, the word you all had to use in your 50 words max stories was furnace. As long as they didn't go over that word count and you placed that word in your story somewhere, the rest was entirely up to you. Okay, so without further ado, let's get started. In at number three, we have... Dave Owen-Jones. Congratulations, Dave. This is your piece. So, we sat down at the crematorium, ready to say goodbye to Uncle Joe. The service went well. We played his favourite song, For Whom the Bell Tolls, and shed a tear. The coffin rolled through to the furnace, and the screaming began. Great little story there, Dave. Absolutely dripping with nastiness. Reminded me of an episode of the old Hammer House of Horror series from early 80s. Absolutely loved it. Okay. In at our number two spot, we have... Kevin Walsh. Congratulations, Kevin. This is your story. Smoking hot. All the guys wanted her. I asked and she giggled. That night she was hot and heavy, body writhing, fingers curling, screaming from the intensity. She asked and I giggled. Later I held her in my hands by the furnace, soot sifting through my fingers. Indeed, smoking hot. That really sent shivers down my spine. There is so much about that story, Kevin, that is so very wrong. But it's also pretty damned awesome. Well done. Okay, and finally, the number one story. In right at number one is... Jason Gowerly. I hope I pronounced your surname correctly there, Jason. If not, I'm really sorry. Anyway, this is your winning story. At midnight, the carnival came to life. Roll up to the carnival of fire. Take a ride on the furnace. They squeal with delight as they mount the car and ascend to the top. Their screams turn to fright as they descend to the flames. More souls in hell tonight. Now, you know when a story's good, when you can actually hear the music of the fairground as you read it, and, and you can smell the onions frying in a hot dog store somewhere behind the rides? That's what happened to me as I read it. It's a 
brilliantly evocative little story, Jason, and bang on the 50-word mark. Well done, my friend. Okay, now before I wind things up, I feel I must give a shout-out to Carrie Del Toro Mikolic. Is that how you pronounce your surname, Carrie? If not, I'm really sorry. But Carrie, you almost made it as one of the top three winners. But unfortunately, your story went over the maximum 50 words. Sorry about that, Carrie, but Wayne said he'd kick my ass if I didn't stick to the rules, so hard luck. Anyway, well done, guys. Not just to the three winners, but to everyone who entered. They were all wonderful entries. Keep it up, guys. Keep writing. Three o'clock in the morning Pondering the endless questions of life My undivided attention Voice returns again The pressure builds, I feel the tension Voice inside my
Good morning, students. The Tomkinar 5 School District lunch menu for today. Shepherd's pie, breaded carrot and raisin cup, seasoned green beans, fudge sickles, a cookie, half pint of cold milk, and for the Catholic students, fish.